It's 2015. Sergei Leontiev has just fled Russia after paramilitary troops stormed his bank. He first lands in London, where he lawyers up. And he quickly learns his problems have followed him there. He's being pursued by a former client named Alexander Vershavsky. And Vershavsky is on his way to meet him. You can think of Sergei's post-Moscow battles as a series of escalating risks. And Alexander Vershavsky was level one. Vershavsky is the big client that Sergei argued with the night before he fled. He owns one of the biggest car dealerships in Moscow. According to Sergei and other people at Pro Business Bank, Vershavsky seemed to be very connected. So he's trying to get money back for himself, but also for his contacts. According to Sergei and others, these are very powerful people. Sergei and Vershavsky, they don't really know each other. Vershavsky is good friends with Sergei's best childhood friend, the one he started the bank with. But they're basically strangers. Sergei doesn't want to meet with Vershavsky, but eventually he relents, and they agree to meet in London, in Mayfair, in a posh hotel lobby. The lawyers suggested that I, I record it, just uh, record everything, that they don't use it against you. There was a room in, in the restaurant, the lobby, and there were a lot of people there Warshawski brought with himself. Uh, so and I was kind of alone against all these people trying to get something uh, out of me. Warshawski says he needs his money back, a hundred million dollars. Varshavsky says he can't go back to Moscow and face the others without some kind of a guarantee that he'll get that money. They go back and forth for two hours. The conversation just keeps going around in circles. I was trying to get rid of him. But Varshavsky persists, and he says if Sergei doesn't pay up, things are going to get scary for both of them. First, he was threatening that the situation can come to a point where there is no way out anymore for us and meaning that they can just hire for a thousand dollars somebody some kind of killer to to kill you in every country of the world sergey refuses to make a deal on the spot and varshavsky's really mad because now he's going back to moscow completely empty-handed sergey gets up to leave i was kind of running out of hotel he was running after me Varshavsky confirmed he met Sergei after the bank raid. He also confirmed that Sergei had promised to fulfill all obligations, but never did. Varshavsky denied any ties to Russian high-ranking officials. But Sergei would soon face a series of even bigger challenges from Varshavsky and Russian authorities more broadly. Critics argue Russia has a playbook for people who become its targets. Sergei saw his fights with Putin as a full-blown war, in which seeking U.S. asylum would become just another battle. From the Financial Times, this is The Russian Banker. I'm Courtney Weaver. And I'm Stefania Palma. Now our final episode, Part 3, Russia's Dirty Work. Sergei didn't stay in London too long. He decides to go to the U.S., and in his asylum application, he argues that he believed the country's rule of law 
could protect him from what he described as a political persecution from Russia. So he boards a plane for New York, where he's seeking safety, but also trying to set up a new company. But his troubles chased him there. We had cars following us all the time, waiting for us in front of the building, the same type of cars for several weeks. Are you worried for your personal safety at all? Yes. I'm worried very much. One weekend in New York, Sergei's office is broken into, and he doesn't know who did it. At the same time, his business partner starts getting harassed as well. Back in Moscow, someone leaves photographs of young family members on his partner's brother's grave. The implication being that anyone could be next. Sergei increases security. Risk management, he calls it. And then Russian authorities used another weapon from their arsenal. They put out an Interpol red notice against Sergei, which essentially put him on an international wanted poster, giving any law enforcement agency across the world a free pass to arrest him. That meant that in practice, he was stuck in the U.S. He couldn't even travel to Vienna to see his parents. I could meet my mother, but she still was alive, and she was kind of hoping for us to meet one day, so that didn't happen. Russia's a well-known user, many would say abuser, of Interpol red notices. 40% of the Interpol red notices that are made public stem from Russia. We asked Kyle Parker about this. He's a congressional staffer that Sergei met with before he got his asylum. Kyle said Russia has a history of abusing legal systems internationally to harass its enemies. Russia can trigger Interpol red notices or, or things like that to complicate your life, you know, even, even so that you're not safe abroad in a sense to rope rule-of-law-based systems like the United States unwittingly to become the long arm of what is essentially a Russian vendetta. Sergei's legal team says there's another sign of this vendetta. Russia's deposit insurance agency hired a notorious Russian lawyer named Andrei Pavlov to handle a pro-business bank's case. He became one of the architects of the legal pursuit against Sergei. The asylum application says Pavlov even hauled Sergei's parents into an Austrian police station for questioning. There is no chance that if Andrei Pavlov was involved and the depository insurance agency was involved, that it was a legitimate legal attack. Bill Browder was the most prominent foreign investor in Moscow after the fall of the Soviet Union. That is, until Pavlov allegedly took part in a scheme to steal Browder's business as part of an elaborate tax fraud. Pavlov was among many Russians sanctioned by the U.S. government for their role in the attack on Browder's firm, which ultimately led to the wrongful imprisonment and death of Browder's lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky. It has been impossible to get any justice in Russia because the authorities circled the wagons. And one of the people who tried to create the counter-narrative about this whole case was this Russian lawyer named Andrei Pavlov. For Sergei, Pavlov was just one piece of a much bigger effort to freeze his assets and ultimately extradite him back to Russia. They were, like, using all the new possible tools how to attack me everywhere. They will attack me personally in the U.S. They will attack me with Warshavsky in the U.S. They will attack me with a lot of investigations in, in several jurisdictions. Sergei's legal team argues that this is part of the broader strategy from countries like Russia that try to cast as wide a net as possible with legal challenges across multiple jurisdictions brought either by the Russian authorities or proxies, which in Sergei's view could allegedly include people like Varshavsky. 
there were a lot of threats coming from him. Varshavsky's car dealership sued Sergei for approximately $60 million in New York State Supreme Court, accusing him of transferring the money that he had lent Sergei's businesses to an offshore trust. But Sergei suspects that Varshavsky is in reality acting with higher powers behind him, people from the Russian state. Other cases against Sergei were filed by the Russian Federation itself. But the majority were brought by Russia's deposit insurance agency in places like Cyprus, Liechtenstein, even Austria. Sometimes I started counting all these trials. It's like about 40 already. There's an ostensible reason for these cases. Pro-business bank depositors lost a lot of money. And these cases seek to make depositors whole. But this is Russia, and there are other possible reasons. Officials might be trying to line their own pockets. Or, if Sergei is right, it's political retribution. Filing so many cases at once is meant to be mentally and financially draining for someone like Sergei. It's expensive. He needs a legal team big enough to fight multiple complicated cases around the world. They were making the process longer. And, and they understood that I was paying lawyers, that it's not cheap, and to exhaust me. Sergei's legal team says in many cases Russia exploits foreign courts, often using the discovery process to get eyes on a target's finances. Sometimes discovery is more important than the verdict. Sergei's lawyer says the cases have the primary goal of freezing his assets. He says that is to prevent him from funding Russia's opposition. But despite all these arguments from Sergei's legal team, some of his critics think he should face justice in Russia. This is Teresa, the Western investor we spoke with, who had raised concerns about the bank early on. She notes Sergei fled while many of his staffers faced stiff consequences back in Russia. He left all his guys there. You know, the number of people that got arrested and put in jail who were basically just fulfilling his command. There are a lot of questions about the fairness of Russia's judicial system. Nearly all defendants are found guilty, and it's frequently used to wrongfully detain political targets and journalists. But despite that, Peter, the whistleblower, and Ivan, the central banker, they still believe Sergei and his co-founder should return to Russia and face trial even if that means their fate is sealed. This is Ivan. You ask me what will happen if they come back to Russia. Hmm? They will be sued and they will be in prison and that's, that's it. But then we asked if his life would be at risk if he were to return to Russia. Oh, that honestly, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone can look at the past few years in Russia and not say that Sergei would face an incredibly tough time were he to return. Sergei was fighting back against the Russian government at a time when people in the West were more sympathetic to hearing the cases of Russia's enemies. And Sergei knew that narrative and played into it. At the same time, there's so much about his case that just doesn't really add up. In his asylum application, he puts so much focus on his connections with Alexei Navalny, who currently is in Russian jail. And it just seems the more and more that we look into the case, the more that Sergei really, if not fabricated this, then just really emphasized it in a way to get sympathy for his case with the judge. 
We don't know how much of all this the New York judge knew or considered when she made her decision to grant Sergei asylum last year. The Department of Justice, on behalf of Judge Alice Siegel, declined to comment. The U.S. government, as it typically does, argued against Sergei's case. Representing the government in court, the Department of Homeland Security highlighted the fact that Sergei had been accused of embezzlement in Russia. But Judge Siegel decided the department did not meet its burden in the case. For all Russia has thrown at Sergei, Peter, the whistleblower at Sergei's bank, is not convinced. I don't mind, first of all, that he he has asylum in America. I'm sure that the judge has done that in good conscience, in good faith. You wouldn't ask from a judge from New York deciding on asylum from a person who says, I'm a political refugee, to, to check the accounts. It's She has not the competence, she has not the means, and she has no access to the information. Now, if she had, I'm pretty sure that she would have uh, changed her mind. Asylum experts we talk to say it's not up to U.S. immigration courts to investigate every claim an applicant makes. Steve Yeler is a professor of immigration law at Cornell Law School, and he also directs the Cornell Asylum Appeals Clinic. The government is overworked and overburdened, and the government often doesn't do its own homework of determining what happened in the country and whether the person did or did not, you know, meet with so-and-so to be able to prove or disprove their political opposition to the government. And Professor Yelair says even if the whistleblower's accusations are true, it still might not preclude someone like Sergei from getting asylum. It may be that he did multiple things, some of which were bad, but he still may have a well-founded fear of persecution because he did associate with the opposition leader in Russia. Leontev was lucky. He spoke English. He had an attorney to represent him. And he had a lot of evidence. And the circumstances of where he came from and the timing probably all helped to allow him to win asylum. Around the time Sergei received asylum, it also happened to be a pivotal moment in the war in Ukraine. Putin's invasion had caught so many people in the West off guard and naturally horrified them. Any opponent of Putin was someone to be listened to, elevated. Getting asylum is a huge deal in the U.S., so you would think that Sergei would have been ecstatic after the ruling. But he says he wasn't surprised. His lawyers had a feeling the judge would side with his case. And he'd pretty much, if you will, priced it in. When you know that you have an additional salary and you expect it and your boss told it already, of course you can show a little bit of surprise just to please your boss, but Really? You've just already put it in your budget. That might sound really dismissive, but think of it this way. Sergei is in the middle of a huge fight. To him, asylum is just one small victory. So it's like a big war, you know, Second World War. You don't celebrate when you win a battle during the war. So I will really celebrate when I have the 9th of May. He's referring to Russia's Victory Day at the end of World War II. But Sergei's Victory Day hasn't come yet. He's had some wins, though. The Interpol red notice against him was withdrawn. He's won some of his lawsuits, and other suits have been dropped. But his real day of victory? That won't come, he says, until all the suits are gone. His assets are unfrozen, and he can run his investment firm in the U.S. in peace. At the end of our final interview with Sergei Leontiev, we asked him what he'd say to a critic who thinks he didn't deserve asylum in the U.S., I will say 
he's wrong. Because just to say something like that, just similar with I say, you don't deserve to be on this planet. Our whole story and the whole case and all the details and what kind of additional proof you will need, maybe then just to say that Navalny doesn't deserve to have a asylum case. Stupid idea. I think it's undeniable that Sergei was obviously facing very serious threats, that he had to leave Moscow behind as quickly as possible, and that this ultimately resulted in his escape from Russia. So in that sense, on paper, he he appears to be a classic asylum applicant. I think at the same time, there's a distinction to be made. Is Sergei a political dissident or is he a Russian businessman? For a lot of Russian businessmen in the 90s and the 2000s, they were basically taking their life in their hand when they decided to do business there. And you compare that to some of the people in the Russian opposition right now who are sitting in jail, who have been killed, and, you know, who will either never see their children again or not see them for years. It's just a totally different situation, and it feels a bit uncomfortable putting Sergei in that category. I'm Courtney Weaver. And I'm Stefania Palma. We reported this series, and it was produced by The Financial Times and Rhyme Media. At Rhyme Media, the producers are Lydia McMullen-Laird and Jennifer Siegel. Dan Bobkoff is the executive producer. At The Financial Times, the executive producers are Cheryl Bromley and Topher Forges. Sound mixing by Bryn Turner. Special thanks to Peter Spiegel, Mark Filippino, Alistair Mackey, Purses Love, Josh Gabbard-Doyon, and Tanya Turkis. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.